So the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, until we get the PowerPoint going, that we covered the. <coughs> we were, in fact, we did not reach the matan. We were, we had discussed a few points regarding the sanad of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam of this hadith, first hadith, and the wording of the hadith, as far as the wording of the hadith itself, the matan, the text is, "Inna al-amalu bin-niyat." Verily, actions are based upon intentions. And verily, everyone will receive the reward or the iqab, the reward or the punishment, based on what they intend. So whoever he migrates does a hijrah for the sake of Allah and His Rasul. Then his hijrah will count in the eyes of Allah, truly for him and his Rasul. And whosoever he does hijrah or he immigrates to acquire worldly things. And there's a whole discussion about whether the first part is complete here or not. But in, this is the full narration. Not necessarily the wording of Humaydi that we are covering now. But the entire full uh, version of the hadith is the one who migrates does hijrah for the sake of Allah and the Rasul. So his hijrah is for the sake of Allah and the Rasul. And other hand, if somebody immigrates, does hijrah uh, to acquire worldly gain, dunya yusibuha, to acquire dunya. Or a woman yankihuha to marry a woman, then then his hijrah will be for the sake of that which he intended. I.e., it will not be for the sake of Allah and His Rasul. The purpose of the hijrah will be the dunya will be the woman he wanted to marry. So we covered this as a sanad last last week. We can go over the recording if you missed it. Some points of the of the sanad. And this is the narration of uh, by Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu. Um, we talked about Khabar Wahid Gharib and those who are rejecting Khabar Wahid in this era and trying to attack the hadith literature in general. And we talked about how Imam Bukhari brings the same hadith multiple times in his book, each time with it from a different teacher. The purpose being that there are seven different points he is deriving. Every time he brings uh, the hadith, he is proving a different point. Um, and this is where we ended. It was the last point. For those who are here can recall that the first teacher he narrates from in his sanad is Humaydi, which is extracted from the word Hamd. And the last one was also Ahmad, which is extracted from the word hamdulillah alhamdu awwalan wa akhiran wa wa batinan okay now a few other adhaf and a few uh, subtle points regarding the sanad is that the first chapter in Sahih al-Bukhari is Kitabu Badil Wahi the beginning of revelation and the narrator al-Humaydi was from Makkah he was Qurashi the Qurashis are is the tribe that are the descendants of Fahar ibn Malik. Like our beloved Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa was Qurashi from the tribe of the Quraysh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bin Abdullah, bin Abdul Muttalib, bin Hashim, bin Abdul Manaf, bin Qusay, bin Kilab, bin Murra, bin Ka'ab, bin Luway, bin Ghalib, bin Fahar bin Malik. So Fahar bin Malik, the descendants of Fahar bin Malik are the Quraysh. Al-Humaydi, he was Qurashi from Makkah and the revelation, Wahi began in Makkah. So, uh, Ibn Hajar Asqalani and other scholars in Fatul Bari and Abdul Qari, other books, they mention a lot of these points. These are little things that fascinate the Muhaddithun, those who uh, study the chains. But I'm just mentioning a few of them here. The next hadith, it contains Imam Malik in the Sanad. Imam Malik, of course, is the Imam Dar al-Hijrah, the Imam of Medina, Munawwara, and the founder of the Maliki Madhab in Fiqh. 
great muhaddith and faqih who rarely left Medina Zulmanawara because of his love of Medina and he is mashallah buried in Medina in Jannatul Baqiyah next to his teacher Imam Nafi' also Madani and his teacher was Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma there are multiple different opinions about which chain in uh, hadith literature is the best chain, noble chain, noblest chain, known as Asilsila al Zahabiyya, the golden chain. So there is a Meccan golden chain, and there's a Madanin golden chain, and a Kufan. Different cities have their chains. So the Madani golden chain is this one. Hadathana Malik, and he narrates from Nafi', who narrates from Abdullah bin Umar, who narrates from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Nafir was not only narrating from Abdullah bin Umar, but was his freed slave. He was his slave. This is very, very fascinating that we find many great scholars among the Tabi'un, the second generation, were actually uh, freed slaves of the previous generation, the Sahaba. So we have this whole tabaqa of Mawali. Mawali are the freed slaves. So we have Atah bin Abi Rabah, and you have the students of Abdullah bin Abbas, they were in Mecca and the students of Abdullah bin Umar in Medina they were freed slaves they, they taught them they educated them you know we hear about the atrocities that happen uh, upon the slaves in America here when they're brought over from Africa over here mashallah they were you know not only kept well treated well educated so much so much effort went into teaching them more than the education we provide to our own biological children, they provide it to their slaves. And then they freed them for the sake of Allah. SubhanAllah. One day, Abdullah bin Umar came home, and it was the most painful day in the life of his slave, Nafi'ah. And the day that he cried, so bitterly wept. And when he came home, he said, Ya Nafi'ah, anta hurrun li wajhillah. I free you for the sake of Allah. So he said, what have I done? Why are you upset? Why are you abandoning me, leaving me? And he cried. So he said that from Dimash, the Amir al-Mu'mineen, the Banu Umayyah were in power at that time. I believe it was Abdul Malik bin Marwan, but one of the Ummawi Khulafa, he said that he made a proposal, uh, he sent a, uh, a proposal to buy you. And it was... Uh, astronomical sum, so much money, way above any market value of a slave, because he wanted to buy you. And I definitely refused that offer, because I did not want the return of my investment in this dunya. It's not that I was educating you, investing in you, so that your value goes up, and then I could sell you for a profit. Right? You buy something, and you invest in it, and you sell it, flip the house, you buy a rundown house, invest in it, and sell it. That was not the case. I, did, I invested in you for the sake of Allah. So I refused it today, but there may be a moment of weakness and I may end up reconsidering. Al-Imanu yazidu wa as it comes in Kitab al-Iman al-Sahih Bukhari itself, that Iman increases and decreases. Today, I was strong enough to refuse the offer. Wallahu alam what will happen. So I want to cut it off altogether, this option. So I free you for the sake of Allah. So anyway, Imam Malik, we can go on his biography forever. It's amazing, amazing personality. He was from Medina. So we see Ibadul Wahi. We're speaking about Wahi. The first hadith has a narrator from Makkah, and the second one has a narrator from Medina. Where did the Wahi begin? Begin in Makkah, and the Wahi continued in to Medina. So that is why, when we classify the surahs of the Quran, 114 surahs, based on the revelation, then you have the Makki surahs. The Surah Makkiyah and Surah Surah Madaniyah, Madani Surahs. So if you ask anyone common understanding, what's a Makki Surah, what's a Madani Surah? So Makki Surah is? What's a Makki Surah? Not necessarily revealed in Makkah. What's a Madani Surah? Not necessarily revealed in Medina. Because Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was he always limited to Makkah and Medina? Did he not travel? He traveled outside of Makkah, he traveled outside of Medina. So he traveled all the way to Tabuk, for example. So there are different ayat revealed in Tabuk. Are they going to be called Tabuki? We're going to Tabuki. That sounds pretty interesting. There's no Tabuki surah 
he traveled a lot of different places but uh, so basically any surah or ayah that was revealed قبل الهجرہ is Makki and بعد الهجرہ is Madani so this Makki and Madani is not uh, geographic based it's based on time if it's before hijrah is Makki after hijrah is Madani okay then <clears throat> we have the first hadith is narrated by Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu he was the Amir al-Mu'mineen in the protection of the Qur'an Great alim of the Qur'an And the last hadith narrated by Abu Huraira Who was the Amir al-Mu'mineen in the preservation of a hadith He is the top of the list of the mukfirun Of those who narrated the most from a hadith from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was like the gold medalist Top graduating student of Sufa Madrasa of Rasulullah Even though he came much later Last two and a half years only But he surpassed those who were prior to him because of his dedication. He himself says that the Muhajirun were busy in business and the Ansar were busy in their orchards, in their agriculture. And I was lying here memorizing the words of Rasulullah So the background of the hadith is the incident of Muhajir Umm Qais. Just like when we have Quranic ayat, then there is the story behind the revelation that is known as the sababun nuzul the sababun nuzul the, the, the reason and the incident which occurred and became the cause of the revelation so that is important to understand the context to understand the purpose of the ayat at the same time there is a limit to it in the sense that there is a principle in tafsir that that the lesson that is derived from the ayah is never going to be limited to the actual story. But rather, we are going to look at the all-inclusive words used by Allah. And the lesson will be eternally relevant. This is a general principle. Of course, there may be some exceptions. For example, Any any nuzul you take. Famous one that just comes to mind is our beloved students. They do the khatra after maghrib salah uh, as, as training. You know, one is you go to a community hospital and you'll have um, board certified physicians treating you. But if you go to a university hospital, sometimes it may be annoying for the patient. But you know, you'll have the third year, fourth year um, a medical student coming. Correct. Then after that, the resident will come. He'll ask you a bunch of questions. Then the fellow will come. Sometimes you may not even see the attending. Right? So this masjid here is not a community masjid. It's a, alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, walillahi al-fadl. It's a, like a university where we have ulama training. So sometimes the students will be leading. Sometimes the fellows, sometimes the residents. So I guess we could say the seventh year are like the fellows. They're doing fellowship. The sixth year are residents. <laughs> then we have after the the all due respect. <laughs> First years are, mashallah. They are also the medical students, for example. So, uh, alhamdulillah. Anyway, after after maghrib, one of uh, one of the residents, <laughs> he he mentioned uh, uh, an ayah. I'm just picking up any ayah as an example of sababun nuzul from Surah Furqan. He mentioned the ayah of um, of having good friends and what are the uh, evil effects of having bad friends. So this is the example of Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt and Ubay uh, bin Khalf. So he, Uqba, he came back from a business journey, his caravan. Short, long story short is that he had a huge profit and he was very, a, a profit as in, a benefit, uh, he made a lot of money. One is a prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam. Not that one. Uh, so then he, he had a lot of, uh, uh, he made a lot of money and he wanted to celebrate that so he had a huge party and he invited everyone and Nabi Muhammad sallallahu came and he said I, can, I will not eat the food until you accept Islam so this would have been a huge disgrace for him if Nabi sallallahu left without eating food so he said okay fine I'll recite the kalima just eat the food so he recited the kalima when his friend found out na'udhu billah na'udhu billah he was such an evil influence he said I will not talk to you I boycott you I will not see your face until you uh, prove to me that you reject Islam. How dare you accept Islam? He said, I did not accept Islam. I just said the kalima. He said, no, that's not good enough. I need you to prove it to me. 
So he said, what should I do to prove my friendship to you that I have nothing to do with Muhammad sallallahu So he said, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah, na'udhu billah. Go in the public gathering and na'udhu billah, spit on his face. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That face, which was the most radiant face ever. Aisha radiallahu anha says that, lana shamsun walissamai shamsu wa shamsuna khairun min shamsis samai. That, O Sky, you have a son, and I also have a son. And my son is more radiant than your son. Son as an S-U-N. She had no kids, by the way. Again, this is a problem. Right. Son as in the celestial body. Right. So, uh, subhanAllah, so uh, there's a S-O-N. She had no S-O-N son, but she had S-U-N. Uh, right? She had the son of the Shams. Let's just call it Shams. You should learn what Shams is. So Shams, she said, I have a Shams, Aftab in Farsi, Suraj in Urdu. I have such a Shams, which is Khairum min Shams samai Because the celestial body, sun in the sky, illuminates half the earth. And my Shams illuminates the whole earth. SubhanAllah. So he went and he, Na'udhu uh, Billah, did this despicable act, which is now worthy of being repeated a second time. First time was only to get the message across of how Lo, he stooped because of his evil friend. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah in the Quran. This is an example of what? Sabab al Now the, the ayah is, وَيَوْمَ يَعَضُ ظَالِمُ عَلَى يَدَيْهِ يَقُولُ يَا لَيْتَنِ اتَّخَذْتُ مَعَ الرَّسُولِ سَبِيلًا يَا وَيْلَتَا لَيْتَنِ لَمْ أَتَّخِذْ فُلَانًا خَلِيلًا لَقَدْ أَضَلَّنِي عَنِ الذِّكْرِ بَعْدَ إِذْ جَاءَنِي وَكَانَ الشَّيْطَانُ لِلْإِنسَانِ خَذُولًا so he says, Yawma Abdul Zalimu, that day, meaning which day? The day of judgment. Al-Zalim, the great transgressor and oppressor, he will Yawma Ala he will be not only biting his fingertips or nails out of anguish and regret, Yawma al-Hasrati nadama day of regret. He will continue on. So you have uh, fingernails, and then after that you have anamil. And milatun anamil are the pores of the fingers. Then you have asabir, which are the fingers. Then you have yaday. Yaday means it goes all the way up to the shoulder. The whole arm, not only the hand, but the whole arm. Because Allah, you know, sometimes people think yaday is just the hand, the wrist, up to the wrist. It's not. Because Allah Ta'ala says, فَغْسِلُوا وَجُوهَكُمْ وَأَيْدِيَكُمْ إِلَى الْمَرَافِقُ Wash your aidi, which is the hand, arms, all the way up to the elbow. So if, if Allah Ta'ala didn't say Iran Marafiq, then it would have been all the way up to the armpit. So, people translate just the hand, but it's not only the hand, it's going to be the whole arm. Allah knows how long he's going to continue chewing. Why is he chewing up his whole arm? He's going to say, Oh, I wish I did not adopt Fulan, so and so as my friend. Because he led me astray after I had been on, I had begun to adopt the right path. So, if somebody reads this, the reason this is important, why am I even talking about al-ibratul is because unfortunately sometimes if you're reading it, if you want to become so intellectual and start reading tafsir, wow, what's the sabab al-nuzul? Then it becomes a, like a historical lesson. Oh, so this is a biography of Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt, one chapter. This is what happened to this guy. It's not about what happened to that guy. It's about you and I, you and myself. What is going to happen to us? The lesson is about us, that we should not be adopting such friends who will lead us astray. So it is important. In fact, since we're talking about this ayah, that is one of the reasons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't even take his name. Go back, what did he say? Zalim, a transgressor. The zalim could be any zalim. Right? It's not Uqba ibn Abi Mu'ayt, the name is not taken. Some could argue that Al-Zalim is there, Alif Lam, if it's depending on which type of Alif Lam it is, it could be Ahad Dhani, so it's Mahud, it's a specific one, or Ahad Kharji, specific individual Zalim. But if you go forward, there's a very indefinite, it's called Nakira, indefinite word. يَقُولُ يَا الرَّسُولِ سَبِيلًا Oh, I wish I had take, adopted the path of the Rasul. يَا وَيْلَتَا لَيْتَنِي لَمْ أَتَّخِذْ فُلَانًا Fulanan is as open as you can get because it means anyone. I, oh, I wish I did not make Fulan as my friend. 
Now fulan is like a, you know, like in the exam they say fill in the blank. It's like an empty blank. So in the place of fulan you can, you can put any evil friend's name there. Right? Any evil friend who is an evil influence, his name could fit right where fulanan is. So, um, so just like we have sababul nuzul for Quranic ayat, we have sababul wurud, which is pretty much same thing, which is the condition which is led to the hadith being mentioned by Rasulullah What are the, what were the duruf? Meaning, what was the duruf are two? What are the conditions, time-wise and place-wise? Which place did he say it, and which time did he say it? Zaman and makan, the place and the time. So. It, it is beneficial with respect to gaining some context. But let us not limit it to that. So over here we had the incident of Muhajir Umm Qais. The one who did hijrah for the sake of Umm Qais. Now, this narration of Umm Qais is mentioned not in Bukhari. In Bukhari is just this hadith that we are covered. Whoever makes hijrah for the sake of dunya or a woman to marry, his hijrah will count for that only. Where do we find the story of Umm Qais? It's in Mu'jab Tabrani and Sunan Sa'id ibn Mansur, amongst other books. So, what do we find in Sunan Sa'id ibn Mansur is that there was this uh, respectable lady. Muslima, Sahabiyah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Umm Qais and she accepted Islam and she was a believer and there was a individual from Makkah who was very very interested in marrying her and had proposed to her but she refused the proposal and she didn't say that I refuse your proposal because you know I don't like how you look or your income, or your family, or any of these other reasons for rejecting our proposal. She said, because I, I want you to make hijrah, to accept Islam and make hijrah, then and then only I will accept your proposal. So this person, we know so many details about so many different individuals from the time of Rasulullah and I kind of alluded to that in the previous lesson about how uh, subhanallah, minute biographic information we have recorded about our past. And keeping that background in mind, it's quite fascinating that the name of this individual is not known. And that is why, in fact, that is the next point. His real name is unknown. Why? Because the Sahaba wanted to hide his fault. So he is known as the Muhajiru Umm Qais, which is not necessarily <laughs> the best name, but it means the one who did hijrah for the sake of Umm Qais. At least initially. There's one amazing thing, right? Which is called what? Tawbah. Subhanallah. Tawbah is so amazing that it can completely reverse the past. You can correct it. You can go back, date it, and correct everything. So if he, if he inshallah, corrected his intention, this Muhajir Umm Qais will become Muhajir Lillah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, he, I mean, <clears throat> if they knew Umm Qais and they knew who, who proposed to her and they knew that this was the condition, then everyone knows who he was, but then they, they hid his name, subhanAllah. So the Muhajir of Umm Qais, he did hijrah for this sake. So over here, it's not really a tangent, but it's a lamhatun fikriya, an opportunity for us to reflect, is that Umm Qais radiallahu ta'ala anha knew how much uh, he, for lack of a, we don't, I would say lack of a better name, we don't know his name. Muhajiru Umm Qais. Every time you have to say, it's a double idaf, a long word. Muhajiru Umm Qais. She knew how much the Muhajiru Umm Qais loved her. But instead of utilizing that love for the dunya and saying that if you love me, then you need to get a rock for me. Right? So there are different types of rocks, they're like landscaping rocks. <laughs> when I say that, you know, the, the, some of us may not know what type of rocks I'm talking about, others may understand. <laughs> Those who got caught up in, the, in this myth may r relate to it. So they say that, okay, there's a particular rock which has, in, from the Sharia perspective, there's no zakat on these rocks. Like if you go outside 
and there's landscaping rocks. When you calculate your zakat in Ramadan, do you have to count how many rocks you have around the bushes? No. So likewise, there's no zakat on diamonds. And I don't, want to, don't mean to disrespect anyone. On emeralds <clears throat> and rubies. So from the Sharia perspective, they're just rocks. Right? And unless you're doing tijara, you buy and sell rocks, then you have zakat on landscaping rocks too. On sand. Anything which is urud tijara, anything you buy with the intention of resale, then it's zakatable. So somebody uh, selling diamonds, you know, wholesale, retail, whatever, then there will be zakat and diamonds. But if a person has it just to wear, there is no zakat on diamonds because it's a rock. There is zakat on dhahab and fiddla, gold and silver. So people have made this a sign of love. Now, <clears throat> so a woman uses that uh, atta- love that a man has for her to, want diamond, to demand diamond rings, to demand things of this dunya. This is what happens, this is what we see. Whereas here, Umm Qais radiallahu ta'ala anha, she knew how much he loved her, and she used that love for the sake of Allah, to allow him to make hijrah for the sake of Allah, to allow him to become Muslim. And this is so amazing and so great. All of those different ahadith that come about, that are mentioned about women being a fitna for men. So, we have to be very careful how we present things not only because uh, we do not want to offend people or be worried about how feminists might attack Islam but because this is our deen why should we present it in such a manner that is going to confuse people and then they will end up having objections so it is our responsibility to present them deen in a manner not just to be politically correct but to be Islamically correct right avoid such a situation such wording which causes confusion. So that is what we learn from Hadrat Mufti Radawal Hasadan Barkatu Madullah Bi He mentioned that the hadith where we find about the woman being a fitna, if you say, oh woman is a fitna, naturally uh, a woman hearing that well, would feel offended. And it depends on her level of her iman how she would take it. Some of the women who might have a lower level of iman are not so strong yet they may end up rejecting the hadith. Some who are weaker iman may end up billah, turning away from Rasulullah and saying, how dare he say that? Others will attack the sanad and say, maybe the sanad is made up. Others will say, this is some misogynistic, uh, you know, women-hating men who came up with this. Or they'll come up with all kinds of wrong meanings, wrong understanding. The best case scenario is like, man, that does not make sense, but whatever, I don't know. How can we be a fitna? So the thing is, it's not that a woman is inherently uh, has some type of evil in her nature. It's nuhusa, manhus, and you know, as filled with shar. That's not the case. Because if a woman are something that, okay, it's, up, it's still being debated, are they evil or not? What about innocent children? There's no debate about innocent children that they are Right? They are innocent. That's what they call innocent children. <laughs> Their book of sins has not even opened. They are غير مكلف of the sharia. They are, as we say, masoom bachay. Innocent kids. So even these innocent kids, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا أَمْوَالُكُمْ وَأَوْلَادُكُمْ fitna. What does fitna mean? Fitna means that as a man, you, Allah has put extreme love of wealth and extreme love of children and extreme love uh, of your wife, a woman, such that this becomes a test for you. It becomes a test. Fitna is a test. The test is that when the desire of your beloved comes on one side versus the order of Allah and the Rasul on the other side, are you going to sacrifice the order of Allah and His Rasul, abandon that to fulfill the desire of your beloved, or are you going to be able to be successful in this test by not just abandoning your beloved, kicking out your beloved, but by explaining to them that I love you very much, but I have to love Allah and His Rasul more. And there will be barakah in our love by obeying Allah and His Rasul. And with hikmah and mu'adatul hasana, beautiful advice and wisdom, we explain to them that we cannot disobey Allah. 
and I can come up with a compromise and do something else that I can express my love to you in another way but not by disobeying Allah so this is the test and that test is known as a fitna the reason that in common usage fitna it conjures up a very negative connotations right because you say what's fitna I don't, it's not really a good exercise that okay think of fitna what are the top five fitnas come in your mind but just for example you think of whatever Las Vegas is fitna the strip or Miami Beach is fitna etc etc we don't have to give more examples so all of these things are fitna why, are, why is it a fitna why is Las Vegas a fitna it's because Alhamdulillah I have not necessarily I have never gone there some of the brothers have gone to the, for the effort of da'wah and and uh, when one of our mashayikh one time he, he was visiting I remember uh, some of the brothers who are here from Hyderabad may remember uh, there was a senior alim his name was Mulana Aqil Saab yeah so Mona Aqil Saab when I was young I remember he, he was traveling and then he went to he, he went to Las Vegas and he came back and he was giving a bayan in the masjid I was sitting in front of him so I cannot forget it because he was wearing a white cap which is normal and then white rumal on top of it that's fine then white kurta white shalwar which is okay white socks and then white gloves and he was fair so he was white 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 all the way through and I think he might have had a white stick <laughs> so then he, he was sitting there I was looking at him like wow this man is white top to bottom I was listening to him so then he said that <clears throat> he said a very interesting word, statement in the beginning he said Misari dunya I'll translate it سفر کیا ہوں کسی بھی جگہ میں نے ایسا نہیں دیکھا جہاں پر اتنی ظاہری نور اور باطنی ظلمت لاس ویگز کی طرح so he said I've traveled the entire world and I've never seen any place that has so much external light and internal darkness external light if you know what he's talking about it's a strip has like the most amount of light bulbs anywhere in the world in the middle of the desert and the batani dhulmat is there. So that's why it's a fitna. Because anywhere you look is inviting you towards sin. So it's hard to protect the gazes. Hard to protect the wallet. <laughs> hard to protect all body parts. If you know what I'm saying. From all kinds of haram. So that is a fitna. So the love of the wife, the love of the children, this is a fitna. This is a test. Will a person try to fulfill the desire of his beloved and end up disobeying Allah or not. So, the hadith where a woman is a fitna, our shaykh, there's in this hadith also, you'll be adding words. إِنَّمَا الْأَعْمَالُ مَثُوبَةٌ بِالنِّيَاتِ سَحِيحَةٌ بِالنِّيَاتِ You know, etc. etc. Which word you put in there to make the meaning complete. Likewise, Mufti Sahib used to say that it's not the woman is a fitna, it's the حُبُّ الرَّجُلِ لِلْمَرْأَةِ The love in the heart of the man for the woman, which is a fitna for him. Because he is so blinded in his love, he ends up disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And hubbu shay, yu'ami wa yusim. The love of something, it blinds you and it deafens you. So these are where we have, uh, you know, typical scenarios where people will come and say that, explain to this son of mine that he is so blindly in love with this individual. Who is not a matter of, okay, if she's just from a different case or tribe, then we can talk about it. Allah made multiple different tribes and nations so you can recognize one another and get married, etc. No, that's not the case. This is a case where she may be absolutely non-Muslim and not willing to convert to Islam. Willing to convert to Islam, fine. Great. Welcome. But he doesn't, he doesn't want to budge. She may be a crackpot, for God's sake. Right? <laughs> he doesn't want to budge. He can't see that this person is not going to you know, be very healthy for long. The way she's, you know, if you project what's going to happen to her. But what happens? Love. Hubbu shay. Yu'ami blinds the man. Yusim deafens him. He cannot hear anything wrong about his beloved. He cannot see anything wrong in his beloved. So, th- so this is the fitna. This is the fitna. Now if the woman knows that the man feels that way, there are two motivating factors. One is that he himself loves her so much so he wants to express his love to her so she can capitalize on that that leverage second is he wants to they're very much linked the two one is that he loves her so much so he wants to express his love second is that he's doing whatever he can to what? earn her love back he wants her to love him back so 
She can continue to raise the bar. You have to prove it this way, prove it that way, prove it that way. Everyone's saying that, well, this boy is saying, there are number of people, they're all saying, oh, we love Layla, we love Layla. The point is, Layla is rejecting all of their love and saying, no, you never, none of you proved it to me yet. So this is how she uses the power. Now here we have, subhanAllah, women. Not only Umm Qais and after, so many sahabiyat. And so many awliya from the tabi'at and the tabi'in, second and third generation awliya, till today, such righteous women they are who use this instead of using this leverage for dunya, they use it for the deen. One beautiful story that I love very much from the time when I used to listen to the Hayat al Sahaba. Of course, it's mentioned in the books. Hayat al Sahaba is not a primary source to. But it is a, a, a very beneficial source to mention. Shaykh Yusuf Kandalwi, Rahmatullah Ali, Ibn Ilyas Kandalwi, Rahmatullah Ali, he wrote this book, Hayat al Sahaba. Uh, he compiled the book more of a ta'alif than a tasneef. It's a compilation of different ahadith uh, regarding the Sahaba. Most of the books regarding Sahaba, how are the chapter headings? Based on individuals and their respective. Biography. So you'll have chapter of Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, etc. Right? So you pick up one chapter and you will learn about his whole life. But Shaykh Yusuf Khandalwi Rahmatullah in his Hayat Sahaba, uh, he did not make the categorization based on individuals. Because the objective from, that he was adopting was that it's not again a history lesson that you need to learn the whole biography of an individual. And in fact, this is the usloob of the Quran itself. With the exception of Yusuf alayhi salam, in which his entire story is mentioned in Surah Yusuf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't have a Surah Musa. If there was a Surah Musa, trust me, it would be very long Surah. But, but there is no Surah Musa, there is no, right? There is Surah Ibrahim, but Ibrahim's story is a little bit only there, it's all over the Quran. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is focusing on the lesson, and when the lesson is, he's presenting the lesson, لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ that's why in the end of Surah Yusuf Allah reminds us don't get so lost in the story yes it is the ultimate rags to riches story but the final point the last lesson last ayah in fact ultimate last ayah of Surah Yusuf is لَقَدْ كَانَ فِي قَصَصِهِمْ in these stories there's a lesson if you have intelligence they're not fabricated stories not bedtime stories but وَلَكِنْ تَصْدِيقَ الَّذِي بَيْنَ يَدَيَ وَتَفْصِيلَ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ it's a mercy from Allah, guidance from Allah. So likewise, in Hayat al-Sahaba, Shaykh Yusuf Rahmatullah mentions chapters. So he has the chapters on da'wah of the Sahaba, chapters on the jihad of the Sahaba, chapters on the love they had for Rasulullah And under those chapters of sifat, of attributes, good qualities, then he has multiple different Sahaba's stories. It's definitely a, a, a work that we should study deeply and try to bring into our lives. Abu al-Hasan Ali Nadir Rahmatullah in his muqaddama, he writes that I had the honor of visiting and staying in the Sahaba and benefiting from so many mashayikh from the mashriq to the maghrib, east to west, Arab and ajam. I had never came across any individual who was so, so immersed in the Sahaba and in knowing their genealogy, their nasab, their lineage, and in knowing their ahwal and their conditions, and all of their stories and how they were all related to each other through blood and through marriage. Bloodlines and marriage. Nasaban or Sihran. And he knew about them and literally when we would sit with him and he would be talking about them, he would be literally doing ta'aleem from it. He would be re- re- reading it out the, every day in Bangnawali Masjid and Nizamuddin. He would make the ta'aleem from the Hadith Sahaba as he was writing it. Shaykh Yusuf, Kandali Rahmatullah His grandson, he, he showed us when we were there the actual copy from which he used to recite. It was all worn out. So when he would be talking, we would feel when we would listen to him, that wow, it looks as if he was one of them. And then, you know, he got left behind. Came 1300 years later, he's still with us. <laughs> of course, he was not amongst them, but it was as if he was one of them. Subhanallah. So in the Ahad Sahaba, there is a chapter on the different Sahaba, how they accepted Islam. So just like we have the Muhajir Miqais, we have the example of Ikrama bin Abi Jahl. So everyone must have heard of Abu Jahl. Right, Abu Jahal was a Fir'aun of this Ummah and, the, and he was worse than the Fir'aun of Musa alayhi salam. So his son 
Ikrama, he grew up عنه, with the hatred of Islam, with the hatred of Rasulullah sallallahu And he fought against Allah, uh, he fought against Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the battle of all the battles. His father was the one who was the leader of the battle of Badr on the Mushrikeen side and was killed. He fought in Uhad, Khandaq, every opportunity he got. And all the way till the eighth year of Hijrah, when, uh, when Nabi sallallahu entered into Makkah al-Makarramah, triumphantly with 10,000 Sahaba, he still had not accepted Islam. And Nabi sallallahu granted amnesty to all the Quraysh and said that whoever uh, stays in their home, close the door, there will be no bloodshed, they are safe. And whoever goes by the Haram, by the Kaaba, he's safe. And just to give importance to Abu Sufyan, even though he didn't, radiallahu anhu, he did not have such a gigantic uh, mansion that every sizable population could fit inside. He had an average home, but because he was the leader of the Quraysh, Nabi honored him by saying, whoever is in the house of Abu Sufyan is also safe. So, there were few individuals that were an istithna exception, that they are not granted safety. Whoever finds them, oh, 10,000, they, they can kill, they, in fact, it's not they can kill him, they, they must, the order is to shoot on sight, as you can say. Who was among them? This man, who becomes a sahabi, Ikrama bin Abi Jahl. And he's one of the few people who offered resistance. It's futile. There's 10,000 sahaba pouring in from all different valleys. Every single word of Makkah, there's sahaba coming in. What is he going to do, a small group of people? But he put up a fight. Put up a fight when? In the Fatih Makkah. Of course, he was going to be defeated. He was afraid for his life. He ran away. Not only he ran away from Makkah, out of the city, he ran away from Arabian Peninsula. Not only Arabian Peninsula, Arabia is where? In Asia. He, he left the whole continent. He said, I'm going to migrate from where? Asia to Africa, the next continent. So, he actually got on a boat. It happens to be not too far, it's across the Red Sea, but actually it's the next continent, if you think about it. So he left Asia, he got on a boat, and he's going towards Africa. And when he's in the boat, حَتَّى إِذَا كُنْتُمْ فِي الْفُلْكِ Allah Ta'ala mentions this in the Qur'an as well. حَتَّى إِذَا كُنْتُمْ فِي الْفُلْكِ When you're sitting on a boat, and you're enjoying, you know, sailing in the boat, the sun is shining, the wind is blowing nicely, gently, gentle breeze, you're enjoying it on the deck of your boat. No, this is like, I'm not adding imagery. This is what the Qur'an says. وَجَرَيْنَ بِهِمْ بِرِيحٍ طَيِّبًا Beautiful wind. Right. Uh, beautiful wind. One time with, with my respected father and other family, when we were young, we went on this boat in Lake Michigan. Do you remember? And it was dark and cloudy and it was such a horrible day. And then the captain on the boat was saying, beautiful day for sailing. <laughs> right. So I remember that. So this is what Allah Ta'ala says here. بِرِيحٍ طَيِّبًا was, Allah Ta'ala says, it's actually a beautiful day. And وَفَرِحُوا بِهَا And they're very, very happy. جَاءَتْهَا رِيحٌ عَاصِفٌ Then, slowly what happens? Condition changes. Dark clouds come, lightning, thunder, and then the ocean waves start crashing against the little boat. الْمَوْجُ مِنْ كُلِّ مَكَانٍ The waves are crashing from all sides. وَظَنُّوا أَنَّهُمْ أُحِيطَ بِهِمْ Then they feel that we are going to be drowned. So that's why there's a famous statement that there are no atheists on a sinking ship. Right? No atheist on a sinking ship. Save our ship, SOS. So they call out, They call out to Allah with that level of ikhlas that the awliya aspire to. And then what happens, When Allah grants them safety and security, because they, they understand how frail they are, how weak they are. What are you going to do, a little human being on a little piece of wood in the middle of the ocean? And the waves are crashing against you, and the sky is black and thunder and lightning. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? The, you know, the Coast Guard, they're too far away. You know, you're going to be at the bottom of the ocean, no one's going to retrieve your body even. So, uh, then you realize, when Allah Ta'ala grants him safety, and they come back on the solid ground, some places it comes from in Muqtasid. This is the Mutashabihat. Then they go back to their shirk. They go back to their shirk. So the same thing happened. The story comes with Yunus alayhi salam. There's another story about a ship. Same thing happened in Ikrama. So he's on the ship, and then 
he is running away from Asia to Africa and he is on his ship and the thunderstorm comes. So then the captain of the boat, he doesn't say it's a beautiful day for sailing. He says that, look, your false gods are not going to help you today. If you want safety, then call out unto Allah. He is the one who is the controller of all affairs. Make dua to Allah, Allah will grant you safety. So then Ikrama bin Abi Jahl, he said, then he started thinking, I, t- 13 years in Makkah, Nabi Wasallam is inviting towards Allah, I'm rejecting him, rejecting him, rejecting him. Then he goes to Medina, 8 years, rejecting him. We fought against him in Badr, in Uhad, in Khandaq. Then finally, he defeated us, and I still have hatred to Islam. I'm running away from my homeland, my family and everyone. And I'm in the boat, and again, the captain of the boat is telling me, only way for safety is Allah. لا ملجا ولا منجا من الله إلا إليه. There is no way you can gain safety from the anger of Allah, but by going back and seeking the fadl and protection of Allah. So he said, maybe you know, he started thought coming to his mind. Maybe it's true. Maybe it is true after all. I can't run away from this. So he said, he started making dua that, Oh Allah, if you are true, then please save us. This is the final sign I'm looking for. Then I will believe in you. He started making dua. On the other hand, the reason I mentioned the story is not because of Ikrama. He's not the main character. He's not the reason we got here. The reason is because of his wife. His wife, Umm Hakim bint al-Harith, radiallahu ta'ala anha. And the Qadr al-Mushtarak, the reason I'm saying this, the common denominator with Umm, of Umm Qais, is that she knew that her husband, he hated Allah, he hated Islam, he hated Rasulullah, but he loved her. So, she wanted to use that love to, her, uh, to his advantage and her advantage by bringing him back to Islam. She could have given up on him because he was a mushrik and the mushrik would have happened, the nikah would break and she could marry someone else. But she said, no, I love him. I'm not going to give up on him. So she went to Rasulullah in Makkah and she said, Ya Rasulullah, I'm a Muslim, I accept you, I believe in you. But if I go and bring my husband to Islam, can you guarantee him safety? Then Rasulullah said, yes, if he accepts Islam, then inshallah we, we will uh, honor him, welcome him, and he will be safe. Now, she had to travel to go find her husband. Where did he run away? Where has he fled? It was a very difficult journey. It was not jump on a flight and go. Jump on a, you know, call the Uber. The driver comes to you. No. It's very hard. You'll see how hard it is. So she took a, she needed someone to go with her, so she took a slave with her. And when she was traveling to f- retracing the steps of her f- runaway husband, in the middle of the path, you know, in the middle of the way, in the middle of the desert, this slave, he, he uh, intends to, na'udhu billah, molest her and assault her. She had to deal with this. You know, so now, if she started to fight with him, then he would have overpowered her. Na'udhu billah, would have dishonored her. So, she was very smart as well. This is, this is why she's so smart that she's trying to bring her husband back to Islam. She is, so she said that, okay, okay, she beguiled him and she said, yeah, you know, I will fulfill your desires. Don't worry, don't worry. Just wait till we get to you know, a better location or something. She was waiting for some, a place where there would be people to help her. And she was so sweet with her words that he actually bought it. And they kept on traveling. And then when they got to one of the villages, some oasis where there were people then she secretly told the people this is my husband's slave and he's trying to hurt me or assault me so then they captured him they tied him down now she was alone did she give up like this guy almost tried to rape me enough of that no she kept on going kept on going trying to find where he's gone then she finally came to the coast and where did he oh he left on the ship now she was lost. She said, well, I'm, how am I going to get on a ship? I got to go to Africa too. I have to save him from the, hus- from the fire of Jahannam, my husband. The son of Abu Jahl. She could have said, your dad was Abu Jahl, you go, you're Jahl too. She didn't give up. She said, now what am I going to do? And she st- she's on the shore. Just, just feel that. Just, I want you for a moment to live this experience. Think about the love this woman has for her husband and the love she has for Allah. And how it's combined in a beautiful package. So then she says, she's waiting there and she makes dua. And this is exactly when Ikrama on the boat, the captain says, you make dua too. 
And slowly what happens? The storm goes away. And the captain says, let's go back to the harbor. And we'll try the trip to Africa next time. After, you know, based on the weather forecast. So then he comes back. When she sees the boat, she is standing there and she wants to attract his attention so she takes off, she has some extra garment. She does not going to take off her hijab. In fact, it comes in the hadith, the word, if you search, you know, control F, search for niqab, it comes. That when she came to Rasulullah she was wearing, not only, a, not a mask, <laughs> she was wearing a niqab. This Ummah Hakim bint al-Harith. So, she, took, she didn't take off her scarf or anything, but she had extra cloth, she started waving it. Imagine she's waving it in the breeze to catch his attention that when he sees the cloth, then he will recognize, oh my God, what is my wife doing all the way here on the shore of, of the Red Sea? So he's, Akrama sees the scarf and he's alarmed. Oh my, this is very familiar scarf. And he runs up to her and she says that, oh Akrama, I have come, I come to you from the best of mankind. And he's the most merciful. He is a, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا and please listen, you need to accept Islam. And I have guaranteed your security. And he's ready to, uh, uh, you, you know, you are safe and secure. All your previous sins and how many people you killed and murdered, they're all going to be forgiven. Now, we already know that Ikrimah's heart had already become softened by his experience, near death experience. So then he says, okay, I think I'm thinking we should, I should accept Islam. And I can't believe you made it all the way out here. How did you find me? How did you come all the way here? He said, okay. He didn't have a GPS tracking or anything on him. This was her talab that brought her all the way there. Then they started traveling back. So on the way back, um, they stopped at the village. Uh, I don't want to go into gory detail, but when she told him what happened, then let me just say that he was dispatched to the fire of Jahannam. He took care of it. Akrama, that slave was gone. He, he didn't live after that. Then they continued on. And when they continued on, then uh, as husband and wife, for years they're married, and he wanted to fulfill his need with her. And then for the first time in his life ever, because you can see she loved him so much, right? She refused. So he said, what? You never refused my advances ever? And what is this? There's something so strange. She said, I have accepted Islam. I'm waiting for you to accept Islam. When you accept Islam, then of course I'm yours. That's why I'm here. So then he said, wow, this is really impactful. This Islam has changed her so much. Then she brought him to Rasulullah Nabi Wasallam prepped the Sahaba. Everyone was so hurt by Abu Jahl. Nabi Wasallam told them, look, Ikrama is coming and he has made tawbah. La tasubbu abahu. Do not curse his father ever in front of him. فَإِنَّهُ He said, this thing, it will not reach Abu Jahl and يصلو, it will not affect him, it will not reach him and his son who is alive he will feel hurt so let's be kind, let's not hurt his feelings and then uh, Nabi Wasallam gives the Bashara that Al-Islam Islam wipes out the sins all sins that occur before it and he made tawbah now he made that ahad and promise to Rasulullah Ya Rasulullah, every place that I disobeyed you. In every place, and how much money I spent in stopping Islam, trying to stop Islam, in fighting against Islam, I promise I will make it up by supporting Islam. Just like Wahshi ibn Harb, he said that, Fil qadaltu nas. In Jahiliya, I killed the best of people. Sayyidush Shuhada Hamza radiallahu anha, anhu. And after Islam, I killed the worst of people. Musaylama. Kadhab, the false prophet. So there are many examples of this. That those who fought against Allah and the Rasul, they became du'ati lillahi rasul. I remember Junaid Jamshid rahmatullahi when he visited us in the beginning, he's, uh, he said that I made du'a to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that every single city in the world where I went and I danced and I sung on the stage, I want to go and sing your praises, O Allah. And then when he came, you know, after the program here, we took him to St. Louis as I was uh, there. So when he came there, he said, wait a second, did I ever come here for a music program? I said, yeah, you did. Because the people, I, I wasn't there, but the people in St. Louis, they told me that um, he had come and had, had done some singing in his Jahiliya days in St. Louis. He said, Alhamdulillah, Allah is fulfilling my intention.
So same thing here, Ikram radiallahu anhu, he fought for the sake of Allah and Rasul in the battles of uh, with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Hunayn in the battle of Taif and, and after that in the Khilafat of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu in the Ridda wars against the Murtaddeen and in the Khilafat uh, of Umar radiallahu anhu in, in Sham. In fact, he was the turning point in the battle of Yarmouk. In the battle of Yarmouk, uh, when there were 200,000 Roman soldiers against only 60,000 Muslims, then the Muslims were uh, being routed in the battlefield. They were, being, they were defeated and they were turning back, retreating. And uh, the Muslims were going to lose the day. That is when Ikram bin Abi Jahl radiallahu ta'ala anhu he he uh, he went and he made his own tashkil and he targhib and he said, Who is ready to fight with me till the end? We will not turn back. We're going to go forward. We're going to come back. So Khalid bin Walid anhu was his cousin. He's also from the Banu Maghzum. He held him and stopped him. He said, No, no, no. What are you doing? You're a great general. I need you around. Don't put your life in on the line. So he pushed him. He said, Ilayka anni ya Khalid. Go away from me, O Khalid. Inshallah, this will not be considered insubordination because of his uh, desire for shahada. And he said that, then he quoted the ayah in the Quran. لا يستوي منكم من أنفق من قبل الفتح وقاتل أولئك أعظم درجة من الذين أنفقوا من بعد وقاتل وكلهم وعد الله الحسنى. Those who accepted Islam and followed the path of Allah before Fatih Makkah and those who came after can never be equal. You accepted Islam before Fatih Makkah, and I accepted Islam, O Khalid bin Walid, after Fatih Makkah. So I can never be your equal. I want to make up something. My father and myself, our whole life we fought against Allah and the Rasul, the deen of Allah and Rasulullah. Now I want to make up something. Follow up the sin with a good deed. It will erase the bad deed. So I want to do something. And then uh, subhanAllah, he went forth until he got shahada. Then his wounded dying body was brought to Khalid bin Walid and his face was in his lap. And when he breathed his last. So all of this goes in the account of whom? Umm Hakim radiallahu ta'ala anha. So this is a lesson for the woman and this is a lesson for the men as well. Let not the love of woman blind a man so that he ends up committing sins. That's another chapter of all those examples from the beginning. From the one who slaughtered the camel of Salih salam to the one who beheaded and brought the head as the mahar of Yahya salam to his beloved. Yahya salam was beheaded. Why? Because of the love of woman. She said, you want to marry me? I want the head of Yahya. Yes. You want the head of Yahya? I got the head of Yahya. Alayhi salam. Nabi said, Sharru nasi man qatala nabiyan. The worst human being possible is the one who kills a Nabi of Allah. So he killed the Prophet. And all the way till today, so many crimes are committed because of love of women. And so many great deeds are committed because of love of women. So it is up to the woman how she uses that love. For the deen or for the dunya. May Allah Ta'ala give tawfiq to our women. May Allah Ta'ala give tawfiq to the men. This series will continue. I was thinking to myself that if this is just like a one-time lesson, then you know you need to complete it. You can keep on going on and on. Or if it's once a month, you should do something significant. Since this is inshallah weekly, even if you go slowly but surely, uh, inshallah, I hope it will be beneficial. Let's make dua. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad mubarak wa sallim. Allahumma barik ala Muhammad wa ala ala Muhammad mubarak wa sallim. Allahumma jahal ijtima'ana hadha ijtima'a marhuma wa jahal tafarruqana ba'da wa tafarruqan ma'asuma wa la ta'afina wa la minna wa la ma'ana shaqiya wa la mahruma. Oh Allah, accept this gathering, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, oh Allah, oh Allah, those brothers and sisters who are here and those who are listening online, oh Allah, grant us all tawfiq to make amal, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Oh Allah, let our women O oh Allah, become like uh, the Umm Qais radiallahu anha and Umm Hakim radiallahu anha and allow them to utilize the love that their husbands have for them for, for your sake, Ya Rabbil Alameen for the Akhirah, Ya Rabbil Alameen and O oh Allah, O oh Allah, allow the men to not be blinded by this fitna of amwalakum wa awladakum, wealth and children and wives and end up disobeying you, Ya Rabbil Alameen Allahumma ja'al hubbaka ahabba al-ashya'i ladayna O oh Allah, make your love the most supreme love in our hearts O oh Allah, O oh Allah, grant us your love, Ya Rabbil Alameen, the love of the deen. Allahumma habibi lina al-Iman. O oh Allah, love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And all our mutual love, love of parents, children, wives, spouses, husbands, and relatives, and friends. O oh Allah, all of those love as well, grant us that, Ya Rabbil Alameen. But ensure that, O oh Allah, that love is for your sake, Ya Rabbil Alameen. That it becomes a hub fillah, Ya Rabbil Alameen. 
Your beloved Rasulullah has said, The most beloved action in the eyes of Allah is love for your sake and hatred for your sake, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma rizqna hubbaka wa hubba man yuhibbuka wa hubbu man yuballighuna hubbuhum hubbaka, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O Allah, grant us your love and the love of those who love you. And the love of those, by loving them, you will learn how to love you, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yusifoon. Wassalamun ala mursaleen. Alhamdulillah.